You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordchurchli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So six months ago, I passed a house in our neighborhood, and there were several bags of mulch piled up. This is the house. Stopped and took a little picture. You guys can see the bags of mulch between those two evergreens. And I was like, that's awesome. And they've got some vision for the property, right? They've got a plan. There's something they're going to do just to just spruce this up, make it look a little bit nicer. And a week went by, and the bags were still sitting there. And another week went by, and another week went by. And I was like, man, I wonder if they're ever going to get to this stuff. And then the thought actually hit me, and I really contemplated this for a while. Like, maybe I should just do it for them. Like, maybe they got sick, or maybe somebody got hurt, or, or who knows what. But they had this initial vision, and then they didn't carry it out. And maybe I should just go. Tear, tear into those things, make it look nice around the house and the foundation. And then I started thinking, I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> like, what am I thinking right now? And if this is your house, I really apologize. I hope you're not here if you own this house. Whoever gets up in the next five minutes owns that house, and they're really angry at me right now. But a few, a few weeks go by, and about, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, I drove by, and look at this picture. Look at what happened to this little area here. I thought this was so cool, because what happened was, they not only had the plan that I had in my head, which was to make, you know, around the area and the foundation look nice, but they installed all those new trees at the front of the house too, and then put the mulch all around that. There was this plan, there was this vision, there was something that they were trying to accomplish. And here in this series, we're talking about the God who had a plan and a vision for you and me, and it's not the plan and vision that we would have come up with if we were God and all of humanity had, you know, fallen and there was separation between us and them, we would not come up with the plan that God came up with, to send his son to die in our place, to rise from the dead. This is the hinge event. This is what all of our hope, all of our joy, all of our peace, forgiveness, eternity, all of that is wrapped up in Jesus coming and rescuing you and me. This incredible plan, this God of details. And tonight, I want us to continue to explore the evidence for that event. Because if that event happened, it changes everything in our lives, and we've got to be certain that it did. And so in this series, we've been talking about the evidence to support our faith, kind of like a chair. Just like a chair can support you, and you and I would never sit in this or on this little piece. We've been putting the chair together. And I think sometimes our faith is only in a piece of the chair. Let's say it's the idea that God's way works, okay? And so let's, let's let this piece, little, little piece represent that. And so all our faith is in this idea that God's way works, and we're, we're following Jesus, and we've got some peace, and we've got some joy, and he's starting to do some things in our lives, and we're excited. But then suddenly something really difficult happens, and we're looking at the one piece going, wait a minute, God, I thought your way worked, but now following you is becoming challenging. And suddenly our faith can really struggle because it was only in this one piece. And so we're, we're talking about bringing the whole chair together. We're talking piece by piece, putting all the evidence that we have to support our faith in Christ, in this risen Savior together. And so that's what we're doing here in this series. And this series is so important to me because it's why I'm a follower of Jesus. It's why I get up on stage every Sunday. It's why I want to serve people with my life. I want to serve the Lord with my life is because this is just the best news ever. And that's my prayer. Like, that's the burden I came out on the stage with tonight, that there's people in our lives that don't know that news. There are neighbors and friends and people you're going to see at school and work this week that don't know Jesus. I was talking with a friend yesterday, and we have a mutual friend who's going through some real difficulty, and he's in a really bad place. And I said to my buddy, I said, I just don't understand how anyone gets through a day without 
Jesus. Like everyone needs that hope. We need that redemption, that forgiveness. We need to know that we are no longer guilty like we just sung about together. But man, the hope of eternity, the hope of peace and life that's available to us in Jesus. And I just pray as a seven o'clock service, because this little part of the service is unique to tonight. I pray this little seven o'clock service gets this passion deep inside of us. And we began to make a real impact in the spheres of influence God's placed us in. Because this news we're talking about is the best news ever. I was watching a show today, and the, the, the son in the show, of course, tricked the idiot dad, because every dad on TV is an idiot, right? Uh, tricked the idiot dad into believing he'd won the lottery, and he was freaking out, and his, the wife quits her job, and like this whole thing, and it was all a joke. But I just see that response in this guy's face. He thought he won a million dollars, and he's just so excited and happy. And I just think about what you and I wake up with every day, the peace and the joy to know our sins have been removed, and we know a risen Savior. Like, what compares to that? What compares to that? And for me, it's everything. And I'm pretty candid with you guys. As I go through life right now, without Jesus, I'm crying myself to sleep every night, waking up in a ball. You know, without Jesus. And sometimes with Jesus, I'm still waking up in a ball. But then his joy and his peace begin to fill me, and I can go live my day. I don't know how anybody does it without the risen Savior. And that's why this series matters so much. And so as we talk about this tonight, I, I, we're jumping into some stuff I'm, I'm really excited about. And just so you know, the last two weeks and tonight, these themes have come up in different series over the years, you know, around an Easter service. You might have heard a little bit of this, but we go much deeper in this series. But the next several weeks, we're going to places we haven't been in 11 years since the first Evidence series. So I'm excited about that. Great time to invite somebody. But let's talk about where we've been. So in week one, we talked about how the evidence points to God. First piece of the chair. When it comes to why we're here, when it comes to origin of life and quality of life, man, there's just got to be more than this is all a mistake, right? And so then the evidence points to God. Week two, we lined up Jesus with everybody else, and we saw that truth and power are found in Jesus alone. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Week three, we talk about this kind of confusion about the first half of the Bible and the second half of the Bible. Is it two different stories? We saw, no, sacrifice and substitution of Jesus in our place is the story of the entire Bible, and then last week, we looked at the prophecies. We saw that the prophecies are powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. Now, tonight, I'm excited about this because we're going to talk about another piece of the chair. But I love the fact that, like we saw in that opening story, God is a God of details. He's a God with a plan. He's a God who's got a vision for our lives. And I just want you and I to know tonight that we are carried by this God. So I'm aiming at your head tonight. I want you to learn some stuff. But I'm aiming at your heart. I want you to know you're carried. Everybody say carried. carried. I want us to know walking out of here, we're carried by this great God with this great plan and this great vision. Now, one of the things that's cool is this whole idea of being carried wasn't really a part of this message until late in the week. And Andrew had no clue as he was picking songs this weekend about the, the kind of the theme for today. God kind of just wove into this message. And throughout the songs we've already sung, and especially the closing song, it is all about how God carries us. And I just thought, how cool, the Holy Spirit just lined that up and synced that up to just drive that point home, give us a little exclamation point before and after the message. But in this world where there's disappointment and pain, in this world where there is heartache and sadness, where we get confused sometimes, where we doubt sometimes, where we struggle in our faith sometimes, I want us to be a group of people who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our Savior is alive. And he's here to carry us. He's here to hold us and support us. We did some baby dedications at the first two services, 
And I think about those little babies being carried by their parents. Like, like they're both real little. Neither of them could do any of their own weight bearing, you know? They were completely carried and held by a loved one who was much stronger than they. And that's the image of God I need you to get for you tonight as we explore some things here in this series. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're just so thrilled you're here. And I pray that this series helps you dig a little deeper in your faith, answer some questions, and maybe even lead you to a relationship with Jesus. We've been seeing people put their trust in Jesus so far at all our services today, and I pray tonight, again, God will do it in somebody's heart as well. And so the fifth piece of the chair is eyewitnesses. Everybody say eyewitnesses. That was pretty good. All right. Eyewitnesses. Did you know that there are tons of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus? In fact, at one point, there was over 500 people who saw Jesus at the same time after the resurrection, and some of them wrote down what they had seen. And so we're going to start out with this idea of eyewitnesses. Well, who are the eyewitnesses? See, this is so important because if we can't trust what the eyewitnesses say about Jesus and his hinge event of resurrection from the dead, then we really have nothing. And so how do we know that the eyewitnesses can be trusted? We can believe what they say about a risen Savior. And so we're going to look at some eyewitnesses here. The first one is Matthew. Would you guys read on the screen with me what he says in Matthew 28, 16? This is his eyewitness account. It says, The eleven disciples went to the mountain in Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they bowed down and worshipped, though some had doubts. We saw that verse last week. They were doubting. You know, they're wondering, is this actually a risen Savior? And then it says this, when Jesus came near. So he came near them. He didn't stay 200 yards away where they were wondering, is that actually him or somebody who looks like him? No, he came near. And then he spoke to them. You know, you know when somebody's voice is their voice. As they speak, you know, oh, that's my Savior. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This was Matthew's account of a risen Savior. Peter, everybody say Peter. Peter, 1 Peter 1, eyewitness account. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says he is alive. Jesus rose back from the dead. Here's James, James 1.1. From James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so who is James' brother? Am I not? Yeah, it was Jesus, right? James' brother was Jesus. Can I ask you a question? What would it get to take you to call your brother Lord and God? What would it take for you to say you are the servant of that person? Hey, why do I bring that up? Because if Jesus is still in a grave, James isn't saying any of that. But James, who didn't believe in Jesus, after Jesus rose back from the dead, in his letter, identifies himself as James, the servant of God, right? And the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we have three eyewitnesses, Matthew and Peter, who were his disciples, James, who was his brother. Why would we take them seriously? Because they died for what they said about this risen Savior. Matthew was speared to death. Peter was crucified upside down. And James was stoned to death. This is why we take the eyewitnesses seriously. Because they died for what they said about Jesus being alive. Let's look at John. John 20, another eyewitness. This is Jesus' closest friend. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Can we stop there for a second? In a minute, we're going to talk about how the disciples, sometimes people say, oh, maybe they stole his body or they didn't really see him alive or, you know, they made it up. Well, see, this is what the disciples were doing before they encountered Jesus alive again. They're hiding. They were afraid. They were fearful. 
They weren't a bunch of people trying to get a bunch of people to follow them. They had the doors locked, right? A lot of people say, well, the disciples were trying to sell a fake story about Jesus so that people would follow them. They don't want anybody to follow them right now. They're afraid. They're hiding. And so there they are, doors locked, and it says this, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and we've talked a lot in this series about why that matters. There were nail holes in his hands. They felt them. Thomas touched them. There's a sword in his, there was a sword hole in his side from where he was uh, speared on the cross to make sure he was dead. We're going to talk about that next week. And then out of this, we see the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So this is John's eyewitness account. Now, John did not die a martyr, but we know he was beaten over and over. He was imprisoned over and over. He was tortured over and over. Do you do that if you don't really believe Jesus is alive? Absolutely not. Who's going to die for what they know is a lie? Who's going to be tortured and beaten for what they know is a lie? These guys would have instantly given up what they knew to be a lie once something valuable was threatened in their life. When I was a kid, I loved G.I. Joe action figures. Anybody in the room, I know it's a little bit of a younger crowd tonight, but we got a few. All right, that is awesome. Some of my coworkers who didn't really were just like, we'll support you, Doug. We don't even know what G.I. Joe is, but we got you, man. G.I. Joe is so legit, and this is Quick Kick. This is Quick Kick. This is my man right here. This is my favorite G.I. Joe action figure that I had. I liked Cobra Commander and some of the other guys, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, too. Then this, this was like the thing to do when I was a kid. You would take your G.I. Joes, and you would go with your friends, and we'd bring them over to each other's houses, and you would take like these like strings and ropes, and you'd tie them across the whole garage at different levels, and then you'd put the guy on by his arm, and he'd like swing down. But that was awesome. He swung so like. And then you'd get from McDonald's like the cup holders, and you'd turn them upside down. They made really cool forts. I didn't have a ton of money when I was a kid. And so you'd turn them over and, and kind of play with them. And I'll tell you, this was the currency, man. If my parents threatened to take my G.I. Joes away from me, I would tell them the truth no matter what. If I had been lying up to that certain point about what I did or what I said to my sister or what I did or didn't do, and if they said, okay, Doug, continue to lie, we're gonna take away your G.I. Joes, I was gonna tell the truth, I was gonna give up whatever I had been lying about. And this was effective with me until my early 20s or so, I would say. <laughs> they didn't take my license and keys, it was like, give me quick kick, no, no. But the same is true with the followers of Jesus. Had they been told we will torture you, we will beat you, we will imprison you, and ultimately kill you. If they were lying, that's the time to stop this great scheme. But they kept saying Jesus was alive. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, but Doug, people die for their faith all the time, right? Like today, somebody died for their faith, there's no doubt. Like, why does someone dying for their faith prove to us Jesus is alive? Like, well, let's think about it for a minute. Let's go back to week two, to the hinge events in week two. You see, if a Buddhist dies for their faith, they're dying saying, I believe that Buddha was by himself one day and became enlightened. If a Muslim dies for their faith, they're saying, I believe Muhammad was in a cave by himself and he saw an angel and was told he was the prophet of God. That's the hinge event. But guys, let's now talk about Jesus. When a Christian, no, 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 forget a Christian. When an eyewitness dies for their faith, they're not dying for what they believe. They're dying for what they saw. Buddha was alone in the cave. Nobody saw that. Or I'm sorry, under the tree. Muhammad was alone in the cave. Nobody saw that. But these followers of Jesus saw 
their savior, put on a cross, placed in a grave, all publicly, and then raised back from the dead. And so the followers of Jesus saying, we saw someone alive who had been in a grave, and we felt his hands, and we hung out, and we ate breakfast, and he told us to go change the world. That's so different than, I believe Buddha by himself once had an experience. I believe Muhammad once had an experience. I believe Joseph Smith once had an experience. I believe L. Ron Hubbard did some research and got some kind of wisdom about, right? It's just totally different. You have the followers of Jesus standing out incredibly. Think about it. I could claim that I had an enlightening experience and you should follow me. I could claim that I saw an angel and you should follow me. I cannot be placed in a grave and then somehow get myself out of that, come back to life. No, Jesus stands apart, and therefore the followers of Jesus stand apart. Well, what if the disciples took the body of Jesus, and it was all a scheme, like we already talked about. As soon as they were threatened with some type of harm or punishment, they would have given that up. Well, what if somebody else took the body of Jesus? Well, then the disciples never would have said that they saw him. They were hiding in a locked room. This is clearly a bunch of guys who saw Jesus alive, and we're willing to die for it. But a few years ago, well, decades ago now, as I'm researching all this, I'm asking, but how do we know we can trust what was said about Matthew and Peter and James and John? And so I've got to go deeper than the eyewitnesses. So I want everybody to say this. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, but everybody say eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses. So this is really important because there are people called eyewitnesses who eyewitnessed what the original eyewitnesses saw. You know what I mean? The, the, the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses are the people who saw the initial eyewitnesses and how they acted and what they did after Jesus rose back from the dead. They knew the original eyewitnesses. They knew that the original eyewitnesses were willing to suffer and give their lives, and that impacted how they lived. And what's so interesting about the uh, eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses is that when they saw Matthew and Peter and, and James and John go through all these horrible things, they didn't run the other way and do the opposite of what they had been doing. They ran right in and were starting to say the same things Matthew, Peter, James, and John were, that Jesus was alive. They were convinced that the followers of Jesus were convinced. They were convinced he was risen from the dead because they, they knew the eyewitnesses were convinced he was risen from the dead because who dies and is tortured if that's not really true? They became certain Jesus was really alive. Many of you guys have made fun of me because I have the taste buds of a nine-year-old. This is true, right? If you've eaten in my presence, you know this to be true. I just like simple foods. I'm sorry to be such a disappointment to everybody. <laughs> now, I've been to many weddings in my life, and um, at almost all of them, and this is true of some of yours, and some of you are about to get married, it's going to be true of some of you, I've ordered chicken fingers at almost all of them, okay, just to let you guys know. And I miss my buddy Anthony Carr, who moved down south, because he, as an intern on staff, I thought this was a part of his, his job description, at a wedding, I would actually go over to Anthony and make him order the chicken fingers and fries first, just to make sure that the ice was broken and they'd actually give an adult the kid's meal. And if he did it and it worked, he'd give me a thumbs up, and I'd get the thumbs up, and then I could order it as well, okay? So that's kind of my palate. So you can imagine the shock of my loved ones. And actually, my wife heard this story this morning. She said, Doug, I wasn't just shocked. I was angry at you. I actually, with a group of pastors, went on a trip once and tried alligator. And they're like, what? My wife wanted to kill me. I, I've been trying to get you to try, like, broccoli, Doug, you know? I went all the way to alligator, you know? And so... There I am in this restaurant. Now, why did I do it? Why did I do it? Because my friends are sitting there so clearly enjoying this. 
I'm convinced that they're convinced that this is good. They've had it before. They ordered it again. They couldn't wait to have it. Doug, you got to try this. And we're going through this. They're convinced, and I'm convinced that they're convinced. And so I try it. Let's take it up a notch. I'm following my dad on a road through some mountains. Now, my dad's a super smart guy. If something's broken, he can fix it. He's like MacGyver of all ages. He could fix anything with anything. I know if I'm following my dad, it's safe, and he is going to lead me somewhere where I'm going to be all right. But one day, as we're arriving up this mountain road, he goes over this kind of rickety old school one lane bridge. And I'm behind him, and I'm thinking, I hope this thing holds me. And I'm watching my dad navigate this thing, go across it, and get to the other side. And I'm thinking, I got my wife and three kids, I'm responsible here. But I'm convinced that he's convinced. And so I will go, and this will hold me. And see, that's what the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses had. They had that convincing that, that their eyewitnesses were convinced. So who were they? Well, Mark was one of them. He was a friend of Peter. He traveled with Barnabas and Paul. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, the second book in the New Testament. He was also dragged to death for being a Christian. You don't do that unless you're convinced the eyewitnesses are convinced. Paul, he knew Peter and many of the other disciples. He wrote like a ton of the New Testament, and he was beheaded. Paul, why would you do that? Well, he had his own encounter with Jesus, didn't he? But also, he was so convinced that Jesus was alive. He knew Peter, these other guys. He was so convinced they were convinced that he was willing to walk that out. Polycarp. Everybody say Polycarp. This is cool because that's not a name in the Bible. And I think this is important because I think sometimes we think, well, Doug, you're trying to get us to be convinced that these eyewitnesses can be trusted, but they're all in the Bible. So if the Bible's talking about Jesus rising from the dead, you're asking me to trust a source within that story. Well, here's one that's not in that story. Polycarp was a disciple of John. And it says this, according to Irenaeus, Irenaeus tells us Polycarp was instructed by the apostles and was brought into contact with many who had seen Christ. Polycarp got to hang out with people who saw Jesus. He's an eyewitness of the eyewitnesses. And he gets to come close and near and hear the stories and know what they've walked through. So Polycarp knew not only what the, the, the eyewitnesses said about Jesus' resurrection, he also knew from John that Peter had been crucified upside down for his beliefs, that Paul had been beheaded for his claim that Jesus was alive. He knew that John had been beaten and exiled and tortured and imprisoned, right? And so because of all this, we have to say, well, why would we trust Polycarp, though? Polycarp is telling us that he believes that all these guys went through this. Why would we trust Polycarp? Because Polycarp was also killed for his faith. We have the account. You guys can read it with me. It says this. The pre-council pre then urged him, saying, swear and I will release you, curse Christ. So in other words, here is Polycarp on trial, and they are saying, listen, man, we don't want to kill you. If you just believe, or I'm sorry, if you just say that Christ, that Jesus Christ is cursed, if you just curse him in front of us and knock off this resurrection nonsense, we will let you go. Says this, Polycarp answered, 80 and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me. Polycarp wouldn't deny Jesus because he was convinced that the eyewitnesses were convinced. And if we can just add a layer here, all these guys' lives were changed. Okay? It's one thing to say somebody rose back from the, other, from the dead. It's another thing to say that and then say, but and my life's been changed. 
And I'm a new person. And I'm, I'm transformed from who I'm used to be. And that's all these guys' story. That's your story. That's our story. Maybe we're not perfect. Well, we're definitely not perfect. But we are changing. We are different. I was talking with a guy today who was at this series 11 years ago. He said, it is just so crazy to look at the, the version of me 11 years ago and look at me now. Look what God's done. See, that's the work of God in our lives because he's actually alive. Let's go on one more. One more layer, all right? Everybody say this. Eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses. All right, good job. We're not going to do any more layers than that. A few years ago, I brought this up at one of our services around Easter or something like that, and one of the guys that was really good with Photoshop, like, took a picture of the screen where it said eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses, and he put it out like times 10, you know, like, it was Daniel Cry, of course, but chicken figure guy's brother, and so he made the whole eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses, and it was like a thousand of them, like, thanks, man, thanks for paying attention in charts, and, and I know you were way more busy on that Photoshop than listening to me, but I want to do this. Why? Why? Because... This is so important, just establishing, again, extra biblical ideas and sources and people. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. People outside the Bible, history outside the Bible, that confirms what's inside the Bible. But I just love this guy named Irenaeus. Everybody say Irenaeus. He was a disciple of Polycarp, the guy who just gave his life. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. So why take him seriously? Well, we don't know if he was martyred or not, but what we do know is he took the job of a guy named Potanus. And Potanus lost his job because he was killed. Martyred, actually. He was beaten to death in prison because he was a follower of Jesus. And all the people Potanus led, a whole group of them got arrested at the same time. And while Potanus got executed in, in prison, that, all, that whole other group was fed to the beasts in the Colosseum. Why take Polycarp seriously? Why take Irenaeus here seriously? Because you don't take Potanus' job unless you're willing to be killed in the same way he was. Like, you don't go, oh, Potanus, you know, well, there's an opening here in this, in this position. There's a vacancy in the office here. Let me just kind of slide over into that. It's going to be nice and comfy for me. No, you know they did that to Potanus. They could do that to me. And yet Irenaeus steps right in there and goes, I'll take that job. I'll lead people in this city closer to Jesus. The eyewitness of the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses, still believing. Now you might say, Doug, it seems like a long shot though that all these things are happening, you know? It seems like a long shot that at this time in human history, all these Christians are being killed in all these horrible ways. Do you know that that's exactly what history tells us was happening right that, at that time? It'd be like this. It would be like, you know, somebody here in the room, you're writing a paper for school, or one of your kids writing a paper for school, and they're writing down just about the last 18 months. Oh, yeah, man, it was crazy. It was wild. We were quarantined. We had to wear masks, and all these things were happening. That would be like in 2,000 years, somebody going, come on, like, why would somebody have said this was happening then? Like, is there any historical proof to show us that that's what was happening in the world in 2020 and 2021? Well, yes, there's historical evidence all over the place that's exactly what we're going through right now. And the same is true of the first century. We've got some incredible examples of this. We have a guy named Tacitus who was a secular historian, did not believe in Jesus, and he tells us about how Nero started a fire and blamed it on the Christians, and the Christians were treated horrifically because of it. They were murdered in just the most horrible ways. I don't want to bring some of them up. And that's Tacitus. We have Josephus telling us that James, the brother of Jesus, was killed for his faith. 
You know, it says that in Acts. It says that James, the brother of Jesus, was killed for his faith. And, and here's Tacitus, or Josephus rather, telling us, yes, that's exactly what happened. Uh, one of these guys was a Jewish historian. The other was a Roman historian. So when we think about the eyewitnesses and all these kind of like second layer out to the third layer out, all these different early on generations, this early church, some of these things recorded in the Bible, some of them early church history, some of them just secular history, confirming that these people believed Jesus was alive. And a whole culture of them were willing to die for it from generation to generation. Eyewitness, I believe, I know what I saw. On out to Irenaeus, I am convinced that they were convinced because I know what happened to them. And these were people who lived in the very town and the areas where they could have gone and searched the tomb out. They could have looked for the body of Jesus. They could have, you know, early on, I mean, Polycarp and Paul and all these other guys, they could have talked with eyewitnesses all over the place. If over 500 people saw Jesus alive at the same time, there were people just hanging out in the town like, oh, you were one of them? So you could go corroborate this story. And so I love the eyewitnesses. I think it's so important. I think it's an incredibly powerful piece of the chair for you and me. And so what I hope you're seeing tonight is that the imprisonment, torture, and death of the eyewitnesses is powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. And that means something. You know what it means? It means that you are really carried tonight. It means that you're held. It means that like those little kids we dedicated today, you're in arms much bigger than you. And the details of your life matter and are being written by the God of details, the God of plans. The God of creation and, and organization and, and then sustaining you and me with our every breath. I know that better than anybody in the room. Every breath is a gift from him. You know, I think about those little kids that were carried and held this morning in our services. And, you know, as, as little kids, sometimes they, they like to kind of grab onto mom's hair, you know, I didn't experience this so much when my kids were little for obvious reasons, but the little ones, they, they like to just grab onto something, you know? Maybe when my kids were holding on to me, they, they'd have my shirt, you know? They're just hanging on to my shirt a little bit. Was this doing anything? No. Like, if I let go of them, was this going to carry them and hold them? No. And some of us, I think, here tonight are like right at that like breaking point. And it feels like, God, I don't even have God like this. I've got him like maybe like two fingers, like, like a little, maybe, maybe a couple fingers here, just, just pinch it, hanging on. And I just want to let you know that there is a God who is holding you and carrying you in his arms, and he has you. And this has been a really awful 18 months. Anxiety and fear are through the roof. Sadness and depression through the roof. There's just so much in us that's still broken. But there is a God, a risen Savior, who is holding us. And I pray tonight that your mind has learned, but I pray your heart has become more secure. Like little Sophia and Lillian who were held today just resting in the arms of their dad, of their mom, being held, being carried. I think today we, we see that, man, this chair is coming together, right? 
that the evidence points to God, that truth and power are found in Jesus alone, that sacrifice and substitution are the story of the whole Bible, and that prophecy is powerful evidence. And today we just put on this fifth piece here, and we say that the death and, and torture and imprisonment of the eyewitness is powerful evidence that Jesus rose back from the dead. And now my prayer for you and me is that we will bring to the Lord this one who has this great plan those areas of our life that we really just need him to carry us in. I so badly need this. I so badly need the Lord to carry me, carry my loved ones, carry those that I care for, carry you. I hope you know like that's one of the things in my heart is every one of you, that the Lord would carry you. He is, but that you would know it and see it and experience it for yourself. I love that our church has a lot of younger people in it. Not that I don't love the the older people. I love you too. But for this moment, I'm so glad there's a lot of young people in this church because here's what I hope this series is doing for you. I pray it's making your faith your own. I pray that it's not just mom and dad's faith anymore. I pray it's your faith. And one of the cool things that honestly got me teared up this morning at the 930 was that several of the people that trusted Jesus for the first time were kids. Just looking up, little eyes glaring up at me yeah, I want this Jesus. I want this faith to be my own. Can we bring them the stuff we need them to carry? Can we bring them the broken heart, the the, the troubled soul, and just say, Lord, here I am. Hold and carry me. Let's pray together. God, you're good to us. You're good to us. Life's really hard, but you are good to us. There's so many things, God, that every one of us could bring to you right now, and I just pray that we'll take the opportunity that we have to, to bring you the weights, to bring you the heaviness, and allow you, Lord, to hold and carry each and every one of us, Lord. So if you're a follower of Jesus, can you bring to him specific things? Bring to the Lord the details of your life. Lord, I want to bring my depression to you. Lord, I want to bring this broken relationship to you. Lord, I want to bring this loved one that's sick, that's dying, or that's been lost, and the hurt and the pain I feel from that. Lord, I want to bring you just the emptiness. Lord, I want to bring you the addiction. God, I want to bring you just my heart that feels so far from you. Whatever it is, just just name it. And then say, Lord, just carry me. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to look to him tonight, I pray that you would pray right now with me. You can say something like this. Jesus, thank you that you are the God who loves me. You stand out. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one faithful like you. There's no one sacrificial like you. There's no one who loves like you and gives like you. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you that my sins are removed, my guilt is removed. Thank you that I can go to heaven because of what you've done. And I thank you for the great plan you've put in place. God, I give you the details of my life and I ask you to carry me and hold me. Just before we open our eyes tonight, I'd love to pray for anybody and celebrate together if anybody tonight just put their trust in Jesus. So I'm not going to have you raise your hand or stand up or anything like that. I'd just love for you just to shoot me up a glance. Just look at my eyes real quick. Did anybody pray tonight for the first time become a follower of Jesus? That's awesome. Anybody else tonight? Awesome. Thank you so much. God, we, we just thank you for those that put their trust in you. 
today. What a celebration, God. Scriptures tell us, Lord, there's a party in heaven right now, God, because people are looking to you. And God, we celebrate that. And I pray for those that look to you all day long, like Jesus, you, you carry them and hold them in powerful ways. In your name.